I'm going to probably, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say some things and focus on some things that I think that you probably know, all right? But I'm going to, I'm hoping that I'm going to shed some light onto it, at least as it relates to maybe the importance of how, of how Jesus viewed it. And, 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 and in that, I'm, I'm believing and hoping that Jesus will awaken something, kind of a revelation, awakening, aha moment in our hearts about what he's thinking and feeling in the moment uh, in his heart for us. And I'm hoping it'll be life changing for you. Now, how many of you, uh, I won't, how many of you were following a couple weeks ago the Mega Millions lottery for $656 million? Anybody, don't, don't feel like a sinner for following that, okay? I mean, yeah, this is, yeah, I mean, I follow it. I mean, some of you, Austin, I followed you on Facebook. Some of you are buying tickets, right? You're buying tickets, just kind of throwing it out there. Hey, what happens? You know, kind of the fun, whatever it may be, right? I know some people have, all these hang-ups with the lottery, I get it. My mom was one of those. But, but just for this morning, it's a lot of money. I mean, listen, I mean, if, if today, right, you won that, it would have this massive impact on your life. And so, you know, so I was going on in Maryland, and I, and I, was, I was, you know, kind of second, you know, kind of second-hand following the story. And so, uh, I, but I read this article on it, and it talked about, um, you know, how the winner, they knew it was in Maryland, and no one was coming forward. They had that, that false person come forward, and so they won, but they didn't really win. And, and then finally one day it came out that there were three people who had won, right? And, we don't, and, and they called themselves and named themselves the Three Amigos, right? And they, didn't, they wanted complete anonymity. That's fantastic. I love that, right? Completely anonymous in their winnings and all this kind of stuff. And, and so and I, the picture I saw was literally this, and I think it was them, these, these black uh, gloves, right, with the, in, in the, it was in front of their faces, right? And you, so you never saw them. But it was kind of cool, because, and, and the guy who was over the whole winning, he said, he said if it's not you winning... These people are, are the people that you would want to have win, right? They were all state employees in some form or fashion. They're, they have a lot of debt and things, but they're just great people. This is the first time they've ever played the lottery. They figured, hey, let's just buy, go buy some tickets. They pooled their money and went and bought, you know, and just kind of for the fun of it, right? Just kind of throw this out there and see what happens. And, and they won, and, they, and these are people who have multiple jobs. I mean, they're just good people, you know, just good people. And at least according to this one guy I was reading from. And, and so they were, I guess someone interviewed, obviously anonymity, I guess is when they had like the, the shadow covering their face. I don't really know, right? But it, they, they, this lady, she said this, she said, she says that evening of, of the lottery, she said, I went to sleep. Right. She goes, I went to bed. I totally forgot about the lottery. She goes, I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't know. what I just that It wasn't even crossed. didn't cross my mind. And I went to bed. And I guess she goes about 1130 p.m. The phone starts ringing and it's ringing and it's ringing. It keeps on ringing. Finally, finally, I get up figuring something must be wrong. It's like, what's going on? What's up? And this and one of the one of the, the two partners, the two people she bought these tickets with, they said, get dressed we're coming over right now, right? And they began this process of a couple of weeks trying to figure out what are we doing and getting everything set in motion, right? But here's the interesting thing when I think about, about this lady specifically. You know, she went to bed and, and, and her, life was, her life was a certain way. Completely and completely oblivious to the moment. She fell asleep, right? Completely oblivious. She, she fell asleep. And she woke up a little bit irritated, right? She's a little bit irritated. Don't you know that, you know, that person who keeps, like, person who calls at like four o'clock in the morning because they think that you're up? 
It's like it's 4 a.m. in the morning. Are you serious, right? And you're just like, hello. You, you answer it to make sure that they know you're not happy that they're calling. Hello. <sighs> right? She's probably doing that in the moment, right? Is that you, Marie? Is that what you do? Yeah. And so, you know, this whole dynamic going down in the moment, right? And, 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 and she answers the phone and, and, and literally her life's changed. So they get together at like 11, they probably end up meeting at 1145, right? And they sit there and have this conversation. And, and then, you know what they do? They go to sleep, right? They go to sleep. And you know what? You know, and next morning when they woke up, guess what had changed? Absolutely nothing. They had the same friends, the same house, the same bed, the same pet, right? The same jobs, the same debt. Everything was exactly the same. Yet everything about their life had changed, right? Everything was exactly the same. Yet everything had changed. You know, when I read through in the story of the, of the resurrection, we all know the story. We know on the third day Jesus rose from the dead. But, you know, when Mary woke up that morning, nothing had changed for her, right? She literally wakes up in the morning. She's walking her way down to the tomb, and nothing's changed. She's still overwhelmed. She's still depressed. All the same emotions. The disciples, they get up that morning, right? And nothing has changed. Their lives are the same. Their minds, I mean, everything that's racing through their minds is still there, right? Everything that had been wrong the day before is still wrong in the moment for them, right? But, but everything, but everything had changed, right? The resurrection already occurred, but for them, they weren't living in the reality of it, right? Mary is literally walking to the tomb. She's going very early in the morning. You think about that. She couldn't sleep that night. She's just undone. She's overwhelmed emotionally. I mean, she, she's so undone that she can't sleep. So she's like, I've just got to go to the last place where Jesus was, right? And so she walks her way to the tomb. I mean, we talked about last week, it's a massive stone. She's going to sit there and just look at a big stone and get more depressed probably, right? She's in that moment, undone, overwhelmed. Life is exactly the same. The disciples, they all wake up that morning and they're sitting there over their coffee, right? Say, oh, my life is miserable. Everything is awful. I don't like my life, right? I'm undone. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. What am I doing, right? And they're sitting in the moment. Everything had changed. Jesus was no longer in the tomb. The resurrection had already occurred. But everything for them was still exactly the same. You see, in a real sense, in resurrection, and, you, and you'll follow the analogy here, the world had just won the lottery. They had. The world had just won the lottery, and they slept through it. And they woke up, and everything was exactly the same for them in the moment. But everything in their lives, everything had changed, and they didn't even know it. And they didn't even know it. But the one thing that is clear, obviously, is that Jesus knew it, right? Jesus was living in his reality, living in his moment, right? We don't know exactly where he is, right? When, when Mary walks to the, the empty tomb, we know, you know later, and we're going to, 
uh, that she was a, he was a, he was standing there as a gardener and all that kind of stuff. It's really cool and that's kind of neat, right? The, the, the world began in a garden. Jesus was raised to, to life in a garden. The world ends in a garden. There's something important with this, this garden analogy throughout scripture, right? You should study that sometime. There's this whole dynamic and Jesus is sitting there as a gardener, right? This understanding of, of recreation type thing going on. And so, uh, and, and this beauty of, of life and stuff. And so Jesus is sitting there and, and he knows everything has changed. And Mary, she comes up, she's like, where is he, right? I'm undone. Where is he? If you can tell me where he is, I'll go find him. I'll bring him back to myself. Just tell me where he is, right? And Jesus goes, Mary, right? I don't know how he talks, right? But some good, good voice. And she goes, oh, I'm, you know, teacher, oh my gosh, this is so great. And so, and so let's, let's read along. I don't actually have it uh, up here, uh, size. So go ahead and pull up, jump to 20, starting in verse 17. Just, uh, Click quickly as I go. Go ahead and put it up there. Verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that she had seen, that she had said, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed him his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this in a real practical sense. We should be compelled to think about the very first words that come out of Jesus' mouth after his resurrection. We should focus a lot of attention on them because Jesus has been waiting since the fall of man to speak the words that he just shared with Mary. I mean, literally, man falls, all of a sudden Jesus knows, all right, I've got to put plan B into action. I've got to, got to get onto earth and live here and, and be crucified and be resurrected, right? He, he has this understanding. He, and, so, and so there's this anticipation of the words that he gets to speak to his disciples, right? Hear this. I mean, please don't lose this real quick. I mean, don't lose where I'm going. This is important stuff for you. It should have already changed your life, okay? And so if, you, if you've ever heard these words before that I just read, it should have changed your life and your them. Because Jesus, for thousands of years, has been anticipating this moment. He's been anticipating the very words that are going to come out of his mouth immediately at the resurrection, right? Whatever Jesus is about to say is something that he's been waiting a very long time to say to those that he is around. And so he looks at Mary, and right, he's been waiting. He's sitting there, he looks at Mary, and he, and he shares something with her. Listen, how, I, I, my favorite moment with my kids well, there's lots of favorite moments, right? You could say that. But I, one of my favorite moments with my kids is when they are super excited about telling me something that I don't know. 
Have you ever had those moments where you're kids, like, daddy, 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 right? And they're like running after you, grabbing you, gotta come in real quick and sit down. I gotta tell you what happened today. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, right? And they're like, no, you gotta hurry. We just can't wait to tell you. And, and mommy's in here. And Sarah, we're gonna, we're gonna tell you. Anakin's in here. We're gonna tell you what's going on, right? And they sit me down and I'm like, okay, this is big news, right? And with whatever it is, with this high level of anticipation and high level of excitement, they sit there and they, just bubbling out, begin to speak to me this thing they've been holding on to all day long. And that's Jesus. Now I'm not going to sit, I, mean, I don't know what, I don't know exactly what he looked like, right? I'm not sure if he was like, ah, you know, giddy and excited in the moment. I like to think of Jesus being more than just Mary. Go tell my brothers. You know, whatever it may be, right? I'm hoping he's a little more excited than that. I'm hoping he's like, Mary, now listen, you gotta go. I mean, like, you know, just, you know what I'm getting at? I'm hoping and believing that, that there's some level of excitement because Jesus was a human being who experienced emotions. There's, there's gotta be some level of excitement and anticipation in his words and in his voice when he's speaking, right? He's been holding on to these words for thousands of years. Listen, he just got crucified. I mean, it, it magnifies the desire to say, I just kicked butt and took names. Let me tell you what we're doing now, right? I mean, you know what I'm getting at? Honestly, this is the moment that we're experiencing with Jesus. And he says to them, he tells her, now go. I'm going to tell you something that I've been holding on to. It's a secret. It's a, something I'm excited about. It's something that's overwhelming. It's unbelievable. Oh, it's good news. Go Tell them. And Mary went with excitement and shared. The first thing I want you to see is that, that Jesus said was this. He says, go instead to my brothers. Go instead to my brothers. Now, <clears throat> I'm about to pick on Scott Crawford for a second, our new associate pastor. And I'm going to make his wife look good. So, several weeks ago... Randall and I spent all day, I mean literally all day, over, just overhauling our house, right? Her mom was moving. She had all this excess furniture. She's an antique dealer, so she has all this really cool old stuff, right? You really don't want it in your house because it smells bad, but you put it in there because it's pretty, right? And so we bring it all in, and, and we literally, we spend all day moving stuff and going, mm-mm. I'm like, ugh. Okay, honey, right? Let's move it again. We're moving stuff all over the place, right? And we get to the end of our day. I mean, we, listen, we've unpacked all, like, all these big, I don't even know what they're called, like, pieces of furniture that put, you put stuff in. We take all the stuff out. I mean, it's all over our floor. And literally at 9.30, she says, and Jenna picked this up, she looks at it, she looks at it and goes, we've got to call Art. Let's get Art to go move this big piece over here. Art's our next door neighbor. And like, it's 9.30 p.m. at night. We're not calling Art to come over here and move this big piece of furniture. We're not doing it. She's like, okay, I'll go downstairs. I come upstairs and she's like typing on her phone. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I just text Art. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, poor Art, right? And so sure enough, Art and Glennis both come over and and they're laughing at how dirty your house is because everything's on the floor in mounds and piles, right? And he's over there moving stuff around. And she's like, well, while you're here, why don't you move this one to you, right? I'm like, oh, poor Art, right? And I walk out and said, dude, I'm so sorry, you know. But we get everything moved, right? So the next, that, that week, we're continuing to work, everything done. So we have a meeting at our house, right? 
And, and so Scott, Scott's the first one at the meeting, and he walks in, and he sits down, and we're sitting there talking, and Randall, with great excitement, comes in and says, oh my gosh, don't you just love what we've done with the living room? It's, isn't it so nice? And he's like, yeah, looking around, and yeah, it looks great, right? And then Randall's like, okay, and she walks down the stairs, and he goes, what is she talking about? <laughs> Right? And then like a week later, Rebecca comes over. She walks to the front. She's like, oh, my God, you moved this. And, oh, my gosh, you've done this. Oh, my gosh. She just works. And they're having their moment. I'm like, oh, this is so great. They're having this moment together. Right? And it's just so excited. But so what happens a lot of time when we read, listen, a lot of times when we read scriptures, we're just like Scott Crawford. Yeah. What? What? Right? We're completely missing the, the, the ramifications of what we've just read. Jesus, sorry, Scott, right? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching next week, man. No, so he says, go instead to my brothers, and every one of you miss it. Every one of you miss it. Why? Because I read through this, and I, I miss it all the time, right? Because we see that it seems fairly innocent. Almost, it, it, it doesn't have this great sense of significance to us. But I want to tell you, when Jesus spoke these words, it was, he, said, he, said, he said, listen, don't touch me because it's not quite time, but go say this. This is the first thing I've been waiting to say. Go tell my brothers. You've got to recognize, this was a massive culture shift. Because... The disciples had only either been servants or, at best, friends. Either servants or, at best, friends. And Jesus comes and says, I want you to go tell my brothers. This is, when they hear it, they're going to go, he called us what? Hebrews 2, verse 11, says, Both the one who makes men holy... And those who are made holy. Jesus is the one who makes men holy, or people holy, men or women, right? And, and we are the ones who are made holy. We're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers or to call them sisters, right? Just this, this sibling relationship. To be brothers and sisters, it has powerful ramifications. Ramifications for, listen, it puts us, hear this, it puts us on a, on a certain level of equality with Jesus. This is the work that he's done. He's put us on a level, a, a similar level. Like I'm, I'm calling you uh, my brother. I'm calling you my sister. I'm calling you this, this, this work of, an, of being equal, not, not because of what you've done. It's the work that I've been doing that you didn't understand. I brought you in this level of equality with me. And the second thing we then see is, is number two says, I'm going to, he says, and he says to them, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to my father and to your father, my God and to your God. This is the picture of Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, where it says this. It says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God... They're sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption. I think it was what the King James says. Spirit of adoption. And by him, because of the work by him, because of, by Jesus, because of his work for us, what Jesus did we didn't earn. By him we cry, Abba, 
father, an intimate name, like Papa, Daddy, right? This, this is this intimate. We can cry out, Abba, Father. Now, if we are, excuse me, yeah, if, uh, yeah, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Basically, Spirit speaks to us that, uh, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are, listen, we are heirs. Heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The picture of Jesus that, that Paul is speaking in Romans and, and just picturing this reality of Jesus saying, brother and my family, he's coming and saying, listen, you are heirs of, you're heirs of God now. And you are co-heirs with me. You've been adopted into our family. Basically, the family inheritance now belongs to you. He's speaking this in the moment. They're going to get this when it says, my God, your God, my father, your father, brothers, you're here. They're going, oh, this is awkward in a weird, great kind of way. We've what? We're part of his family. Can you imagine if you're, let's imagine that you were like 20, say you're 18 years old. You've been in the foster care system for a long time, right? And this family comes along to you and says, listen, I know that you've been all alone. I know terrible things have happened. I know where you've been. But we've decided today that we want to adopt you. We want you to bring, we want, the, the, the mom and dad are saying, we want to bring you into our family, and we want you to know that we love our, our, our natural children as much as we love you. And everything that belongs to them now belongs to you. And when we die, you will split the inheritance equally down the board. And that person, this 18-year-old, is going, uh, is this real? Are you, what? It sounds great, but is it this whole dynamic? That's what the disciples are feeling like. Are you serious? But this is what has happened. It's overwhelming. And they're like, we've been a Adopted. There is no, honestly, and those of you who have been adopted or who have adopted, you can tell the story a whole lot better than I ever could of adoption because there's something unbelievably powerful in adoption that you've been chosen. You've been chosen. By choice, God said, oh, I just want you. I want to give you everything that I have. See, the first two things that we see Jesus naming is that he has changed their position in Christ. He has changed their position. He's changed them from servants and just friends to brothers and now part of the family. He can't wait to come back and tell them how their position in Christ and his, their position in him has changed. This is what he was doing. This is why he did it. It's overwhelming. Family. And then he goes on, he says, and he goes on after he meets with them and says, Hey, peace be with you. Sorry I freaked you out by kind of just showing up in the room. He says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So now what he does is he comes and he, he shows them their, their, their change of calling. They had a changed position and now they have a, a changed calling. It says, I, it says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, again, the statement is short and sweet as it is. It has powerful and it has far reaching ramifications for for every single one of us. Right. Coming in the moment saying the beginning says, as the father has sent me, what he's doing is he's 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 showing them in comparison to him. It's a comparison moment. So just as the father sent me to do everything that you know that I did, 
So now I'm sending you to do everything the Father sent me to do. You're going to be me on earth, right? So this whole dynamic, you're going to, your job now is to, to seek and to save the lost, to, to deliver the gospel, the good news of my life, my death, and my resurrection. According to John 14, I want you, you're, you're called to go do greater works than even I did, right? That's what it says. You'll do even greater works than Jesus and to go and make disciples, and to live our lives in service to Jesus. All of a sudden, he changes our calling. It belongs to the disciples, and it belongs to you. It belongs to you. Just as the Father sent me, Austin, God has sent you. Right? That's what he's saying. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is a powerful shift of calling. The fourth thing that we see, Jesus says, now receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some theologians will sit there and tell you that Jesus literally gave them the Holy Spirit in the moment. He didn't, right? That what he's doing is a prophetic statement. It's a prophetic statement of Pentecost. Just like he didn't literally send them in the moment, he didn't literally give them the Holy Spirit in the moment. He's sending them after they're empowered. That's what we see here. In the moment, Jesus is saying, listen. I am going to pour out my spirit upon you, and I'm going to empower you to be me. And so you're not just going to, so the Holy, the same spirit that I had in me, my spirit, listen, it's now going to reside in you and empower you to do the things that I did. It would empower them for service, right? Holy Spirit would come and he would, his job is to remind the world of sin, and of righteousness, and remind us of every word that came forth from the mouth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us, it will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience on down the line. And, and it will produce the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. The gift of prophecy. And on down the line that we see the disciples moving in again and again and again in power in the New Testament. Saying the work of the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes and says, guys, you've won the lottery. You've won the lottery. I've changed your call, I've changed your position, and I've changed your calling. And they stood there in the moment. And when Jesus left again, what happened, whatever he did, every, nothing had changed for them. Nothing had changed. They're sitting there going, uh, what do we do now? Nothing had changed. Resurrection had happened. Resurrection had come. Jesus had revealed himself. They'd won the lottery, and they're sitting there the next day going, what do we do now? What do we do now? You see, in our lives, everything has changed. But so many of us, we live life as if nothing has actually changed. We've won the spiritual lottery, but our lives look no different than anybody else's life. Our lives look no different. We live in the same amount of fear as everybody else. We live worried just like everybody else. We live angry just like everybody else. We live, we live in this place of cup half, cup half empty all the time. We live defeated lives. We come and think that we're weak. And the idea of Jesus coming and saying, but I was resurrected. 
And the things that I spoke, I spoke for a purpose. You've won the spiritual lottery, right? I've, the resurrection of life is, is present for you. It's your reality if you will live in it, right? I've come and I'm telling you, I've changed your position. I'm calling you brothers. Listen, I was sitting here in prayer this morning and all I could think about was, my gosh, my girls, they, they act up wherever we go in public sometimes when I'm in charge because they're just so confident of me being their dad. They think it gives them liberty to do whatever they want to do. I heard a story one time, you know, have you ever seen the movie The King and I um, that has uh, Jodie Foster in it from, I think, the late 1999? There's a beautiful scene, I think I shared it before at Vintage, but, but there's a scene where there's these people on their faces groveling before the king, asking him for something, and all of a sudden the door bursts open and, the, and his youngest daughter comes running through and runs right past them and jumps into his lap and takes over and, because they have the right to do that. Because daughters can do whatever they want to, and every daddy knows it. And Jesus says, I'm calling you brothers, I'm calling you sisters, I'm calling you my family. Everything shifts. There's a confidence that comes with that. But we don't live in that confidence, do we? We don't live in that place. We don't live in the place of actually realizing, man, the power, listen, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead now resides in you. Does your life flesh that out every day? Mine doesn't. Should it? Yes, because the resurrection happened. I should live in that place of being the head and not the tail, according to Deuteronomy 28. Living on top and not on the bottom and being blessed when I go in my door and as I go out. There's something about the resurrected life that is available to all of us. And so many of us don't even realize it. It's available and don't flesh it out. For the next four weeks, we're going to break down all four of these pieces in a much deeper way. Talking about our position and talking about our calling. I encourage you to be here for the next several weeks as we just dive into this. But this morning, what I want to do is we kind of we come into, as we end our time and come into a time of ministry, if you can stay, I simply want you to sit there. Maybe you just pick up your Bible and you begin to read these verses. And I want you to ask yourself the honest question. Ask Jesus, where am I in, in walking out and living out this resurrected life? Where am I of embracing this position? And where am I of embracing this calling? If you are overwhelmed in the moment, say, Jesus, I just need help in the moment. We have people who can pray for you and you can come and do that. That'll be fantastic. Nate's going to come and lead us in worship and we're just and we're going to go into this time. But I want you just to flat, I want you just to think about the resurrection this morning and your time with the Lord. I want you to think about the resurrection. I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about God am I where am I? Just an honest moment. Where am I of my position? And where am I in my calling? Let's pray. Father, we love